Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Welcome to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. I'm Colin Ellis. And I'm Nam Kiwanuka. And this is our last episode of the season, and we're going out with a special live stream that I did about the TVO doc, Tripping the Bruce, with the film's executive producer, Mitch Azaria. Have you watched any of the docs in the series? Yes, sir. <laughs> I watched. Uh, I actually watched uh, Tripping the Niagara several times. It, the first time I watched it, I was just kind of like blown away with how simple the concept was, but how impactful it was. My nervous system immediately relaxed and I thought of um, how lucky we are to live in Ontario. Yeah, definitely. Well, Mitch and I get into the many reasons why he chose the Bruce Peninsula for the location, the many sites to behold there, and where the series is going next. And just a quick note that I incorrectly called Mitch the director of Tripping the Bruce in the live stream instead of executive producer. And I'm really sorry about that, Mitch. Stay with us. Welcome, everyone. I'm Colin Ellis. I'm the host of On Docs, TVO's podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. And today I'm here in conversation with Mitch Azaria. He's the director of the TVO original, Tripping the Bruce. Mitch, how are you today? I'm very well. How are you, Colin? I'm doing great. Uh, Just a little background for our audience here. This is the third film in the Tripping series, and this one sails along the northern coast of Ontario's Bruce Peninsula. And if you haven't seen it already, I encourage you to watch it after the live stream for free on TVO.org or on the TVO Docs YouTube channel or on TVO's streaming channels on Apple TV and Roku. And Mitch and I are going to have a conversation about the making of the doc, and then we're going to open up to audience questions. And if you're watching live, you can type comments in the chat box and do the live feed video. And uh, uh, Mitch, let's just go right into it. This is your third film in the, in the series following Tripping the Rideau Canal and Tripping the Niagara. What made you want to add the Bruce Peninsula to your Tripping series? Well, you know, when we were making the last one, we were in the in the Niagara region, and um, I kept hearing about the Bruce Peninsula, and I didn't really know too much about it. I just knew that, you know, people were saying it's beautiful. You got to go there. There's shipwrecks. There's you know clear water. It looks like the Caribbean. So um, John Morrison and I, um, our director, um, you know, thought, yeah, let's go up there and have a look and. You know, we met another filmmaker, um, Zach Melnick, who's I think he's done some films for TVO and he lives up there, took us out on his, um, you know, uh, little boat. um, And within a minute, we kind of knew that this was a a perfect location for tripping. It had history, it had beauty, it had, you know, great stories. Um, It just made perfect sense. It looks incredible. And I'm, and I want to pick up one thing you just mentioned about sunken ships, because uh, there's a lot of them <laughs> in this part of the, of the province. What was the process like, though, of getting those shots underwater? That, you know, that was that, that, that it was it was it was tough in a lot of ways. I mean, it was tough. Just the idea of going underwater. John and I were both adamant that we wanted to be underwater at the same pace and in the same way that we were above the surface. So that meant sort of an uninterrupted trip um, underneath the water and then doing, you know, a 15 um, minute continuous shot um, caressing the wreck. And that was challenging in, you know, in all kinds of ways. Um, It was challenging, 
that we were going to use um, a, a camera guy, really good cinematographer um, that had become a diver, which I think is the other is the better way than getting a diver who's become a cinematographer. Because if you've got a cinematographer, he's got all of the instincts. It's just the sort of diving part. Um, and the, the, the issue is once he goes underwater, we have no control. I mean, we can't, you know, we can't, we can, we can talk to him about what we want, but once he goes under, we can't direct him. Um, and what he did was he, he created a, a mount um, where he could put the camera on a scooter so that he didn't have to sort of propel himself. And we had the scooter set at a speed that was kind of mimics the speed we were above the water. Um, I don't know how much detail you want to talk about. <laughs> I could go a long time on. Well, actually, I want to. I want to know just why there's so many shipwrecks in that in that part of the the region. Yeah, well, I mean, it was the super highway. You know, that was a massive highway between, you know, Georgian Bay and 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 the and the trail the train heads there and all of the goods that were coming up from. You know, from that region. So you had lumber and grain and, you know, raw materials and they were making their way across the lake, going to places like, you know, Chicago, um, you know, lumber, for instance, was, you know, after the big sh uh, fire in Chicago, all the lumber was coming out of Ontario. So there was literally nonstop, you know, traffic going across, uh, across the lake. And the thing that you notice most is that, you know, like the Edmund Fitzgerald, I know that was in Lake Superior, but they all tend to be late in the season. You know, they're all post-September, they're all in the storm season, they're all when, you know, the owners of the day would encourage the captains of the day to take that last run. And, you know, that last run was a dangerous run because storms come up quickly, and in that time of the year, they come up in, a, in, a, in an explosive fashion. I don't think I heard of, uh, in your film, I don't think anyone died, at least uh, none that I could recall. And it, were, did most people survive these shipwrecks? Yeah, I mean, the, the ones that we covered, I mean, you know, there's there's like they, they say up to a thousand shipwrecks in 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 the lakes. So, you know, the ones we covered, um, you know, yeah, they were um, they were uh, there were no casualties. Um, there were a couple of, you know, very um, tragic wrecks. Most of them um, were not um, freighters. They were there were some passenger liners that were going one of the most um, infamous um, happened, um, just in, in, uh, just down the, down the, down, um, towards Georgian Bay. And, um, it, I can't remember all of the details, but it was, uh, I think it was the, the, the greatest loss of lives in, in all of the Great Lakes. And it didn't happen far from the area we were working in, but very few freighters did they, you know, did they lose their, did they lose their lives? I mean, one, they were usually trying to seek shelter when 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 the shipwreck happened. So a lot of times you find them in shallow waters because they're they're trying to tuck them behind an island. So they're usually wrecked. You know, they're usually close to some sort of uh, landmass. Um, I wanna, what really struck me was the amount of research that goes into all this. And you know, there's text on the screen that tells everyone about the details, including the sunken ships. So could you talk a little bit about, I guess, the research that went into doing this project? Yeah, I mean, we realized early on that if all we did was for three hours roll, you know, um, you know, beautiful footage, um, it's 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 not going to stay with people. You know, it's one thing to see something beautiful, but then if if you're told about what you're seeing, you know, you you have a deeper appreciation for it. You're going to remember it more. It's going to mean more to you. 
So we on the Rito, um, you know, with Jane and Linda, who, you know, um, both commissioning editors at, at TVO, you know, wanted a, an educational component. So we knew we had to, you know, find, you know, relevant information that would make what the viewer is seeing, um, you know, more interesting. I think we had 50 or so in the first episode uh, tripping um, the, uh, the Rito Canal. In this one, we had over 150. And it takes a ton of research, especially this one, because you would think this would be a place that would have, you know, a pretty good historic record, but it was exactly the opposite. Um, and luckily, there was a filmmaker, Yvonne Drobert, who um, was in the area. Um, she had made, her and her husband, Zach, had made a number of films in the area. They knew the, the, the area intimately. So she was a huge help in the, in the research. And she was going to, you know, local libraries, talking to local people, because it's... Um, as 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 now popular as, as it is historically, it's it's a bit obscure. Well, we see in in the parts of the Bruce Peninsula where there are people who are hiking and they're swimming, and I guess they're having picnics. What kind of effect is I guess humans' contact with this re- region? What is it? What does it do to the landscape? Well, you know, up until um, quite recently, and um, I think we track the numbers. Um, you know, probably the last five years, it's really become an issue in, you know, believe it or not, during the pandemic, it was even more of an issue because, it, it, well, it's, it's, it's not surprising. Lots and lots of people were trying to get to the great outdoors. So what happens is, um, you know, that area, although much of it is, you know, is difficult to get to, it's extremely difficult to get to from the water because there's just nowhere to land because you've got these 150 meter, um, you know, um, cliffs, but you can get to it because there is a national park, Bruce uh, Peninsula National Park there. Um, There are some road access. So within the park, they've done a good job in controlling um, the numbers of people that can kind of get in. Because what happens inevitably is if you get too many people, then people are leaving the trail. Um, They're, you know, they're destroyed. You know, you should never leave a, a trail if it's, you know, if it's within anywhere, but particularly within a national park or on the Bruce Trail itself, because then you're starting to, you know, damage the natural flora and fauna. Um, so that was happening. And then, you know, things were getting left behind because I think you get more volume of people. There's more accidents of things, you know, sort of um, left behind. Um, you get more chances that people are going to, you know, start fires to warm, you know, warm up soup, which isn't a lot. I mean, there's just there's just more chances of things going, you know, going bad. And that's become a big, uh, a big issue for the park. And they continue, um, you know, to, uh, you know, to deal with it. And it was one of the reasons they thought that this might be a good project for them, too, because they thought that this may allow people to enjoy um, this area without actually having physically, um, you know, having to go there. So, um, you know, and, and that may, you know, that may prove to be true, too. Well, it, the, the region is also the ancestral home of the Sogin Ojibwe uh, First Nation. Um, how have they used the land? Well, I mean, there's evidence that they've been there, um, you know, for 12,000 years. Um, there's, you know, evidence that they've been fishing in that area for 5,000 years. Um, so extensively, um, they um, they would mostly, you know, uh, you know, come, you know, work the, the, the top of the, the top of the peninsula. Um, they would, you know, they would fish extensively, but there's also, there's a, there's a, you know, through millennia, there's um, the top of the, the whole Bruce peninsula is 
um, an extension of the escarpment. So the escarpment, you know, pick where you want it to start from. So if you want it to start from Queenston and Niagara Falls, it comes all the way up. Where those cliffs are that you see in the documentary, that's um, uh, the, the, the escarpment now going underwater and it continues underwater, pops up again at Manitoulin Island. At one point in, you know, in, in prehistoric history, um, that um, part that is now underwater was above water. And there's, you know, there's evidence that there were game trails and, um, you know, and, and people trails going across that. And interestingly, they found that um, there was a waterfall that obviously existed then and still exists now. It's not a waterfall because it's under the water, but they say it was higher than Niagara Falls. And there's sort of, you know, evidence of that, that uh, that's been found in the last 10 years. I didn't know that. That's incredible. Those higher than Niagara Falls. And actually, there's a lot of interesting factoids in this film that I would never have heard before, like that it's Bruce Peninsula is home to the its own subspecies of black bear. Uh, it's got Ontario's only venomous snake. What were some of the highlights for you when you were doing your research for this? Yeah, you know, when you find those, right, calling you, ooh, that's a good nugget, right? <laughs> if, you, if you can have an aha moment, right? You had a couple there, right? Then, then you know, those are, the, those are the real nuggets that you can find, right? And again, you know, Yvonne did a lot of that. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the black bears kind of make sense because of the peninsula, right? So you get these bears that are somewhat isolated from the rest of the black bears in, in Ontario. So at some point they're going to, you know, in their isolation become, you know, their own sort of, um, you know, um, subspecies. Um, the Massasauga rattler. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's, you know, that, that's, you know, that's a cool one. Um, yeah. I mean, every time you, you, you find one of those, you think, yeah, this is, you know, this is something that you know that 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 people are going to remember, and it's like that waterfall. It's like you know these um, the the, the minutia tends to be the kind of stuff that people remember. Um, there's there's the the Chichimon ferry that goes across. It's, it's an unbelievable um, ferry ride. It goes from Tobermory to Manitoulin Island. It's a beautiful ferry. They have lunch service and dinner service. But the, the, the ferry that ran two ferries b before it was the uh, Normac, which was better known in the Toronto region as um, Captain John's um, restaurant um, down on the harbor front. Yeah, that was surprising to me, too, because I've passed by that ship. I don't know how many times in the harbor front. I had no idea <laughs> its history. <laughs> that it worked, right? That it was a work. You know, you, you never think of these things as, as, as working ships when they're, you know, they're just sitting in a in a harbor for, you know, for decades. Exactly. Well, another uh, prominent thing prominently featured are these limestone cliffs in the Bruce Peninsula. Why was it important to show those? Well, I mean, again, it's, you know, they're, they're interesting for a number of reasons. I mean, one is that, as, as, as I was saying, that they're this extension of the escarpment. Um, the other thing that's, you know, that's really cool about it is that, you know, the escarpment is limestone. So it's this karst landscape and, you know, not, I, I found out what karst landscape. It's not like I'm just saying karst. I'm just throwing it out there. I actually didn't know what a karst landscape was. And a karst landscape is a limestone landscape. And limestone is, you know, extremely soft. So you get these, you know, caves being, you know, pushed into it. You get tunnels, you know, all water created. So that you see, um, you know, there's a place called Cave Point, which, you know, you can, it just looks prehistoric. You're, you're looking at it and you're thinking, this is just, it's just spectacular because it's, 
it's 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 got these you know you just want to go walking it's got these massive massive caves um it's got what you know is like streams running through there um and that goes on for the you know for much of that top of the bruce peninsula it's karst so that it's kind of like what in 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 mexico when they have um all the cenotes and they have um you know in 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 um in the yucatan peninsula so that um, you know you can go under underground through tunnels and be in this massive cave and have streams coming through and stuff. It's the same kind of landscape. Mm. It, uh, it's just you know much further north. I got to ask you a little bit about this genre of documentary that uh, you've mm. done here because it's I've never heard of it before. Is it called slow television? Is that the name for it? I, I think we're we're a, a break off from slow television. Okay. Yeah, but it started. Slow television started with um, a, a program in, in Norway where um, the local public channel, um, I think, was either internally or independent producers came and said, "We have this idea that we're going to put a camera on a train and we're going to run for nine hours, and we think you know people are going to watch it." And um, they took a chance because they were a public broadcaster, and, and they thought you know this is something we could do and this might work. And they, 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 they did it and people did watch and they're sort of purists about it. And they, they don't, you know, they did it and, you know, without any kind of edit, without any kind of information, without any kind of animation, it was just this nine hours of a train. When we talked to TVO, we said, you know, we'd like to do the Canadian sort of version of sort of this slow movement. And, you know, of course, TVO being an educational wanted it to, have an ed- educational component. We believe that, as I talked about before, if, if people didn't understand what they were seeing or didn't get more information about it, then it was a pretty thin offering. And then we started to think, well, you know, if we're going along, like how can we, you know, take people back in time? So we found an unbelievable animator who works in 3D. And that was like another aha moment for us that we could while you're traveling, you know, on the Rideau and the, the camera pans over, you can see a boat from, you know, 150 years ago come by and, and, and think, oh, that's what it must have been like, you know, in its day. So we added our own elements so that we don't think of ourselves as slow TV. We think of ourselves as sort of experiential TV because we have all of these, you know, other components in it. You ever think about adding music to it? Never. Just no. doesn't 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 work with this genre. Yeah, you know, it's you'd think it would, right? And and I, I guess I didn't mean to be so definitive there. <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know, we tried it, and what happens is it's working, and it works for you know maybe five or ten minutes. But three hours is a beast. It's a real beast. And what you know, like setting the camera for the Rito, it took us. It took us so much experimenting to find where the camera needed to be above the water, what speed we needed to go at, what size lens we needed to work work with. And believe it or not, like a kilometer faster or slower, a slightly more zoom shot, a slightly lower shot, it would change your experience so much that, yeah, it could work for 15 or 20 minutes. But after a while, there was something bothering you about it. We, we work, re, work it, it sounds kind of crazy to have that kind of detail, but you hit this sweet spot where things just kind of work. 
And music can work for a period of time. And then at some point, it just starts to become irritating. But if you have just the natural sounds from, from the area, that just doesn't, it, it never grows thin, right? It just, it, it's, it's a very soothing thing and, and, and it lasts for a long period of time. Definitely. Well, uh, we want to go to some audience questions and I'm just going to read a few that we got earlier. Uh, one from Adam Smith, where he says, I just watched it. Very good illustrations and underwater scenes of shipwrecks. Can you tell us a little bit more, bit more about illustrations and animations in the film? Yeah, that, that's, I, I love talking about the animation because I actually think um, our animations and it's a, it's a, it's, it's an animator named Matt Knight um, who built these and what, there's a bunch of things that are kind of cool about them. The first thing is, um, you know, we get to animations from live action. So you're, we're going along, you sort of pan over to the right, you see this big storm kind of coming at you. And the next thing you know, you're in this animated world, but you're not sure if it's animated or real or if it's an old piece of film, but it's, you know, it's, it's pretty chilling stuff. And then you see the boat, you know, the ship getting into trouble. And then the next thing you know, you're seamlessly underwater looking at the bones of what you saw was this, you know, this, this wreck, you know, 20 seconds ago, sort of battling in this storm. And then when you come back up after you've watched this wreck for 20 minutes, when we come back up, that part's animated too. Like it's, it's hard to tell, but there's actually animation between when we come off the wreck and when we pop back up on the surface, he's animated that part of, it looks like a live action scene, but it's not, it's animated. And each one of the ships that's, that, are, that are in the, uh, the animations, um, it took an animator one month to build them from scratch. We wanted to build them with um, such detail that we weren't limited as directors um, how we can position the ship so that we couldn't, we didn't just have to shoot it from the side or we didn't just have to shoot it from the front. We could go top, we could go at any little part, we could zoom in, you could see the chains, you know, banging across, you could see the paint being stripped off the, like, so one animator, one month, just to build that ship in perfect detail, because there was nothing, you know, there was no starting point, they had to build it, you know, from from scratch, from photos, and from um, from reference um, material that we gave them. Uh, Vin, I hope I'm saying this right, Vi Knebel, or Nebel? Asked, how many hours did it take to make this documentary? Well done. Yeah, you know, that, that's a good question. Um, you, you know, it, it didn't take maybe that long to film it, but it took so much time, you know, sort of afterwards. You know, like I said, each one of the animations just to build the ship, you know, took one person one month, um, you know, to... Uh, you know, to, to, to research all of the, you know, the boards took, um, you know, months to, um, to plan how we were going to film. It took, um, you know, weeks of planning. And, and I think that, that the cool thing is, is it actually looks um, like it, 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 it didn't take any time at all to do. <laughs> you know? And I think that's when things work, right? When they don't look that complicated. But um, so I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't, I, I know that it, it took, a really long time shooting wise. Um, you know, there were many research trips, there were a few dry runs and then the actual shoot. So that wasn't the, the bulk of it. The bulk of it was all the stuff that happens before and after that. I mean, I gotta say for something that's three hours and it looks, it looks like it's shot in one take. I think that's what's so incredible about it. 
And that's and 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 thank you because that that's the, that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to make once you get into your seat to watch it, we're trying to get you not to kind of, you know, reel back, not to, you know, I mean, you're going to get up. I mean, people are going to make dinner and do whatever, but we're trying to make it so that there's nothing. It's completely seamless, and that's why I was saying that we animate even the the you know the transition from you know live action to animation. Um, so that everything is is perfectly smooth. There's no hard cuts. Tom Baltus, I hope I'm saying that's not his name right as well. Uh, he uh, says, I hope you plan to do more, many more of these kinds of shows. Suggestion, the entire Trent Severn Waterway, 1,000 Islands, Agawa Canyon, Lake Superior North. What a terrific way to explore Ontario. What's in store for your next production? I think Tom's got my notes. Honestly, those are <laughs> <laughs> those are all the places that we've considered. We actually scouted the Trent pretty extensively. Um, Thousand Islands, you know, it's just that's a, that's an unbelievable, um, you know, uh, a spot. And uh, the Agua Canyon is, you know, it's 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 a group of seven, um, you know, great fall colors. Um, we've wanted to do um, a train ride right from the start. Um, you know, we haven't been able to because um, we we unfortunately um, we started during the pandemic. And obviously, you know, that was a train and being in that kind of close proximity wasn't um, wasn't on. But now um, we believe we've got a, a real hidden gem in Ontario, of a train route um, that is both historic, essential, um, stunning to look at. Um, and um, is a, uh, a flagstop train, which, you know, for most uh, Ontarians, um, particular Southern Ontarians, um, you know, they're not sure what that is. The fact that, you know, this train, um, you know, will stop when it's, um, you know, when it's either, you know, wave two, or if you put a piece of orange or a flag, um, will stop and pick you up along its route. Um, and it can also, you can also get dropped off like that. Um, and it's an essential service. It's it's a train that if it didn't exist, there are communities that would have no other access. So it's you know boats are coming up there, you know four by fours, groceries. It's it's yeah, we're 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 very excited about it. Well, are there anything any other uh, thoughts you want to leave our audience with about tripping the Bruce or anything else that you're working on right now? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad people are, are, are liking it. Um, I, you know, it just, this started as kind of a, 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 a crazy notion to, to, so to have three programs later and, you know, four years later to, you know, to still be doing this is, is, is really fun. Um, I love hearing that, you know, that we've taken people away for, for a little while or, or showing Ontarians a part of, you know, their province that, you know, they didn't know about or, you know, didn't fully, you know, sort of understand. So that's really cool. And, you know, I hope people like this train ride. Um, I think that, you know, I think a train is really, really relaxing. I think when they learn about this particular route, they'll, they'll be, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll think, wow, you know, this, this goes on in, in my own province. And um, so I, I, I'm looking forward to that. That's awesome. I look forward to seeing that. And Mitch, I can't thank you enough for joining us today on OnDocs. Thank you very much, Colin. So uh, if you, you can watch Tripping the Bruce once again on TVO.org or on TVO Docs YouTube channel and on the TVO streaming channels, Apple TV and Roku. Thanks, everybody. So, Nam, that was our final episode of the season. Were there any highlights for you this year? Yeah, actually, a couple. I really liked our conversation with Sumiko, and I loved our our chat about the uh, scam artists. Um, 
I, I, it's interesting how many documentaries are out there right now on the art of the scam. And I don't know if it's helping people or if it's like teaching people how to become more scammier, if that's a word. What about you? Yeah, actually, Samiko was great. She was. We we talked to her about three music documentaries, one about Kanye West, one about Olivia Rodrigo, and one about Charlie XCX. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed our Oscar episodes. I always enjoy these ones. It's a really good time to watch a lot of good documentaries. And this year's nominations were amazing. I will still stand for my pick, which was Writing with Fire, but I was really happy to see Questlove win for Summer of Soul, even though Will Smith, he hijacked it by slapping Chris Rock during the presentation. It was awful, but... (laughs) And also, can do? I just say that uh, that was my pick for? Yes, it was. Yeah, I just, I, I'm just trying to get it on record because you win all the awards at work. I, so. I don't, I don't win any awards. <laughs> we don't even do that anymore. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but I also really enjoyed the Tinder swindler because you know, since we started doing this podcast, we really tried to highlight the issues that these docs raise, and this was a good one for that because I got to speak to a fraud expert about the type of scam practice in the film. Um, this I think that's the art of uh, finding a good documentary. It impacts our lives and it also makes you think um, about how we can kind of have each other's backs. But again, I hope that Tinder Swindler didn't teach you to become a better scammer because I know you're a good guy, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe it'll help my dating life. Who knows? Swipe right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our season. Special thanks to our guest, Mitch Azaria. You can catch Tripping the Bruce for free on TVO.org, on the TVO Docs YouTube channel, or on TVO streaming channels on Apple TV and Roku. While you're here, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about us? It helps new listeners to find the show. You can follow me on Twitter at ColinEllis81. And you can follow me at NamShine, all one word. Thanks, producer and editor Matthew O'Mara, senior producer Katie O'Connor, production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hallowell, and executive producer Laurie Few. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next screening. Colin, is swiping right good or is swiping left good? Or is that bad? Well, swiping right means you like someone. Swiping left means you don't like them. Okay, definitely. Swipe right. Bye. <laughs> Swipe right on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>